Today's scripture comes from uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1. We're going to read the scripture in the ESV, so we encourage you to look that up. And uh, I'll be reading the scripture, and uh, we'd love to have you follow along. Um, It is only one verse, so it's a pretty short verse, but it's a very meaningful verse, and so we'll be uh, going into that that verse in detail. Um, But again, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, uh, we are uh, continuing in our sermon series, Practical Discipleship. We'll be wrapping this up in the next few weeks. Um, But there's a few more topics that I wanted to touch on before we did wrap up this series. And I think that today's message is very, very practical uh, because we are going to be talking about our bodies. And I think that uh, when you talk about practical discipleship, the idea of practicing your discipleship, of actually putting it in action. It makes sense, right? That if we're going to talk about how we do this practically, you got to talk about your body, what you do with it, what it's there for, you know? And I, I wanted to acknowledge something uh, here from the beginning. I think in Western uh, uh, Christianity, uh, in the ways that we have talked about discipleship and we've thought about living this life for God, um, I think increasingly we have been de-emphasizing the body. Um, so one of the things that, that you've probably noticed is how intellectual our Christianity is, that we've made it all about our beliefs, right? It's all about having the right beliefs, having the right doctrines, right? I, I mean, sometimes you'll hear people say, just believe. And I, I think that when you do that, when you start emphasizing belief more than anything else, it starts de-emphasizing then your actions, what you actually do, right? And so uh, because of that, I think that um, the body has become much more uh much less important in the way that we think about discipleship. And I think we do that to our peril. I think we do that in a way that will weaken uh, the way that we can follow God in our bodies. Um, I think there's there's many reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is that um, we have this way of thinking about the body uh, that it is separate from your spirit. Um, and, and so you see this kind of depicted in Western culture. I just want to show you a picture from a movie. Uh, <laughs> this movie series is one of my favorite, uh, that kind of shows, <laughs> uh, how we think about a spirit separating from the body. So this is from Doctor Strange. Uh, th- this has happened several times in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you see somebody's, uh, their astral form, <laughs> their spirit separating from their body, right? And so, um, I think there's this thought that, you know, when you die or when your, your, your body, uh, you know, stops breathing, that a spirit will escape from it, you know? It'll just kind of like, whoop, you know, just kind of rise up to the heavens, you know? And so in this way of thinking, if you think that the soul and spirit are two separate things, then I think it's very natural to start thinking that what that they're of different quality than the other. 
So this is actually not um, a Christian uh, view of, of the body of the self. Uh, this is a Platonic view. And so to kind of just give you a very uh, short <laughs> uh, summary of, of, of uh, some Platonic beliefs about the body and the soul. So Plato was very into this idea that there's two separate worlds. There's the world of stuff and there's the world of ideas. And so uh, the, the world of stuff is a copy. It's an inferior copy of the world of ideas. So think about it this way. Um, where do you see the concept one? Think about that for a moment. The concept of one. So you can have a representation of one, like my finger, right? Or, you know, one iPhone, right? But these are just representations. And because it's a representation and it doesn't touch the, the, the kind of, um, the immortal, the, the, the spiritual concept of oneness, it is therefore inferior. Right, And so, so what Plato believed is that that's the same way our bodies work. So the idea of the immortal soul, that actually comes from Plato. And so the idea was that our bodies are an in, in, in inferior copy of your immortal soul that exists somewhere in a different plane, in a spiritual plane, right? And so when you die, you shed this inferior part of you and then you you ascend to your true self, which is your spiritual self, right? Now, there are some overlaps with Christian belief, but that in and of itself is not a Christian belief. But the thing is that that we have been so influenced by Plato that many Christians just assume that that's the way that it actually works. That the goal of the Christian life is to shed your physical body so you can become spirit. It's not Christian. But when you start believing that, then you start thinking that the body is inferior or even that the body is bad, that the body doesn't matter. But I want to show you in the scripture that we just read, that's not a biblical worldview. That's not what it says, especially here in Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, somata, it's the Greek word for body. There's no getting around that. He's not using flesh, which you can interpret in some metaphorical sense. He actually means your physical body. To present your physical bodies as a living sacrifice. And so, you know, you can say, yeah, we're supposed to give up our body to God to sacrifice it. You can think of that as a metaphor. But the fact that it says living sacrifice means it's not just a metaphor. He actually wants you to do it. He actually wants you to give up yourself. And, and sacrifice, of course, it means to die, right? And, and he's not saying to die. You're, you're still going to be alive, but you are giving up your very body to God, right? And by doing that, uh, th- this is, uh, you know, you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy means set apart. Right, You set it apart from what it used to do, from what bodies normally do, from what the rest of the bodies in the world, in the culture may be doing. Um, and this is your spiritual worship. Uh, this is the way that it most commonly gets interpreted in these, these translations. But if you have an ESV or even an NIV, uh, there will probably be a footnote. 
Uh, this isn't a literal translation. What, what these two words in Greek mean is your reasonable service. What does that mean? They're saying that this is how you serve God, right? This is the acceptable way that you serve God. This is the reasonable way. This is the way you should serve God, is by giving your entire body, right? Hair, eyes, eyes. I, I, Touch my cheeks and said eyes. I don't know why. Your eyes, your eyebrows, right? That that weird wrinkly part of your uh, elbow. You know, all of this, everything you do with this body, you give that to God. You use that to serve God. Okay, are you with me so far? Do you believe this? I want a challenge that I don't think we do. I don't think we believe this, and I don't think we practice this. Um, I, I want to give you a, a very concrete example, and I'm just going to out myself. This is definitely true of me. Um, I want to try to prove to you that, that you don't actually do this, not completely, or you don't actually believe that the way that you're supposed to serve God is with your entire body. I think we prioritize your mind, your beliefs over what you do with your body, um, and how am I going to prove this to you? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to pray to God in your bed while laying down with your eyes closed? Right? I think that we think that what you do with your mind is more important than what you do with your body. And there's this whole phrase that we have, minds over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> or this idea that you can overpower the matter of your body by the strength of your will in your mind, right? So it's like this. Okay, I'm tired. Okay, I'm going to pray to God, which is a way of dedicating myself to God, right? Worshiping God, connecting to God, communing to God. But I'm really tired, right? So I'm just going to lay down in this warm, comfortable bed, with this, this warm comforter, right? And, and I got like the nice uh, memory foam underneath me. And, and then I'm going to, you know, kind of curl up on my soft pillow. And I'm going to close my eyes. And I'm going to pray with my mind to God. What do you think is going to happen? What happens every time you fall asleep, right? Is that presenting your body you know, all that you are to God as a way of worshiping God? Or is that us thinking that the most important thing is what you think in here, right? What you actually do with your body is not as important, right? And so what you see is that it's folly because uh, as, you know, this is, by the way, a picture of the uh, disciples who also didn't believe that what they do with their bodies is most important, uh, at least in this depiction. I've seen other depictions of the, the, the disciples in Gethsemane, and they're kind of like leaning against a tree or something like that. But here, man, these brothers are just, they just gave up, right? They're just like, oh my gosh, we're so tired. You know, and, and of course, Jesus tells them, watch and pray, right? Watch and pray, uh, uh, because, you know, it, it's going to be easy to be tempted, you know, the hour is near. This is a really important moment. And he comes back to find these brothers sleeping, you know, and they're exhausted. And they're probably, uh, you know, very, very 
agonized over what's going to happen to Jesus. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, they fall asleep. Jesus comes back several times. Every single time, they're sleeping, right? And Jesus says these famous words. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There are different parts to you. There is a spirit, and there is a flesh, but they're connected, and they relate to each other, right? And you may think that your spirit, that your will is more powerful than your flesh, but you would be disagreeing with Jesus, right? Jesus is saying, your flesh is really not that strong. And oftentimes, your spirit will actually follow your flesh, not the other way around, right? Most of us, we think that if I just set my mind to it, we're told this all the time, you can do whatever you set your mind to. But maybe, just kind of like looking at this passage and the way that Jesus talked about the the flesh being weak, um, even if the spirit is willing, maybe it's not that um, you you can do whatever you set your mind to, but whatever you do, you set your mind to. Right? Whatever you're doing, then your mind starts to follow that too. It can go both ways. Don't get me wrong. Your body can follow your mind for sure. You can make a decision to do something. But you can also start doing something, and then your mind starts to follow it. Right. So uh, I, I want to show you uh, some other parts uh, of, the, uh, of Scripture that talk about how we are supposed to use the body. And so... Let's take a look at, this is uh, uh, Romans 6. Sorry, I didn't uh, put the chapter here, the book and chapter. But uh, this is Romans 6, uh, 12 and 13. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, right? Your actual physical body that will someday die. That's what it means by mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So there's this idea that your body can lead you, right? Do not let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, Right? So if sin starts reigning in your body, in other words, if your body wants to start doing certain things, right, you are going to follow that. Your spirit is going to follow that. Your will, your heart is going to follow what your body is actually doing. Right? Um, that's what it's saying. And so, um, again, I have to ask you a question. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that we actually follow what the body does, not always the other way around? And do you actually believe that it is important, then, what you do with your body? Um, so, again, I'm going to kind of challenge those of us who are too easily saying, well, yeah, of course, Pastor Steve, I, I, I agree with this 100%. So, when, when we think about disciplining ourselves, right? I mean, I hear this all the time, like, oh, I should be more disciplined, or, you know, I want to be able to give more of myself to God. I got to tell you, and this is me outing myself uh, again, um, I do that a lot. Uh, I don't like to fast. Do you? Do you like to fast? Why don't we fast? It is an ancient spiritual practice, right? People in the church used to fast all the time. 
But in the West today, hardly anyone does it anymore. I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb. Right? It's very rare. Right? Very rare that you'll hear a sermon on fasting where churches will, will do it in, at least in a concerted way. I know some churches do in certain seasons, but it used to be an actual spiritual practice that people would do sometimes on a weekly basis. What is fasting about? It's this idea that, you know what? My body and its demands are not going to be my master. I'm going to give that up for the sake of God. Right? How many of you are not able to master your desires? There's things that you just want to do and you feel like you got to do it. You feel compelled. You can't stop yourself. So there's this idea from passages like this where we get the phrase mortifying your flesh. What does that mean? Putting to death your flesh, killing its power. That flesh has over you, that, that compulsion. I must do this because my body wants to do it. And so Christians throughout the ages used to physically, actually in their body, offer a part of themselves to God and say, God, for this next day or half day or however long, I'm not going to eat. And I'm going to trust in your power. I'm going to let my, my, my flesh sort of be weakened, right? That grip, that appetite. Within myself, it's going to be weakened as I continue to practice practice this before you. And people used to believe this. And people used to actually do this. And we might say we believe this and be like, oh, yeah, fasting is great. Yeah, it's a spiritual discipline. But we don't do it. Right? And, and so I, I'm not saying it's just about fasting, but it's interesting how we in the West, we de-emphasize certain things. Right? Because for, for many of us, we're like, yeah, but I believe in God. Right? That's the important thing. It's not so much what I do anymore. It's that I believe in God. Um, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but uh, uh, just for the adults out there, just kind of know um, I'm going to mention something that's a little bit more mature. So if you have a, a young one, you can sort of cover their ears for the next 20 seconds or uh, mute it. I'll give you a second to do it. It's not going to be super bad, but I'm going to use a word that maybe you don't want your young ones repeating. <laughs> so I'll give you a second. All right, 10 seconds, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, no, just kidding, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This will be about 20 seconds, okay. So uh, another thing in the West is that we have de-emphasized, we have really kind of uh, started to be a lot more lax in our sexual ethics. I just want to be real, right? It used to be something that, that you see in scripture where it talks about what you actually do with your body. You're not supposed to join it with a prostitute, right? You're not supposed to do certain things with your body because this body belongs to God. And for many of us, we're like, yeah, but if I'm sorry, right? If I confess, then it's okay. I believe in God, right? God will forgive me. And so we don't actually, well, I mean, in many ways, we don't practice Christianity the way that we used to because we so de-emphasize what you do in your body. But here it's talking about this idea that we are not supposed to present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. You can't just do whatever you want with your body and just be like, well, that's not as important as long as I believe in God or as long as he forgives me. It's telling us that we need to present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Do you believe it? Do you believe that your actual body 
is being transformed, is, is, is from its deadened state where it just did whatever it wanted, right? It just gets led to wherever it goes, to life in Christ where you can actually now do the will of God. You, you, you have been brought from death to life and your members to God. You're presenting your members, the parts of your body to God as instruments for righteousness. By the way, uh, parents, uh, you can, you know, Earmuffs off. <laughs> We're good now. Uh, but this idea of your body as an instrument, that's what it is. That's what it's meant to be. Uh, Dallas Willard calls uh, the, the body uh, the power pack of the disciple, right? It is the thing that is supposed to uh, power your actual life and how you practice your, your, your discipleship. Um, but if you think that the mind is the only thing that matters, your beliefs are the only thing that matters, that that's the only thing that earns your ticket into heavens, so to speak, then everything else gets divorced. Everything else gets de-emphasized, right? And then it gets excused. I, I just want to be honest about this, right? We, we excuse it. We just think it's not as important. But Really, I mean, if, if you think about it, we put so much emphasis on the body. What it looks like, what it feels like. I mean, if we're being really honest, so much of our lives is about obsessing about our bodies, right? You know, it, it's too heavy, it, it's too skinny, it needs more muscle, it needs to be adorned in a certain way. Right? You, you, you sit there and you kind of look in the mirror or you don't want to look in the mirror because you don't like what you see. Right? So much of our lives is embodied. And if you divorce this from your faith, then you're really divorcing your life from your faith. God has no say over your life anymore. God has no hold upon your life. And you are missing a very important instrument right? A very important instrument to be able to drive your discipleship. And so I want us to see how this works. So um, just an example of this, it's in James. Uh, this is uh, James chapter 3, uh, which talks about a part of your body and how it can control you. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So what does bridle mean? To be able to control, to rein in his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So what this is an example of is how even just a very small part of your body, the tongue, can guide you and can guide your destiny in so many ways, right? Now, this is one of the things. Have you ever just started talking about something and it started triggering emotions for you that you didn't even know were there? Like, like you started complaining about something, and it wasn't like that big a deal, but before you know it, your forehead feels a little hotter. Your, your cheeks are flushed. You kind of feel the, the blood pumping a little bit more, right? You, you kind of feel yourself agitated. You're like, dude, what, what, what's going on? Right? Just talking about something has that, that ability to do this, right? That, that you could say, well, hey, you know, it's just words. It's just my tongue. Right? But your whole body gets dictated by what this tongue does. 
If you understand that principle, then you understand that this can be leveraged, right? Your body can be an instrument. It can be an instrument to sin, right? If you start using this tongue to sin, it's going to guide your body into sin, right? That's what happens. If if you use this uh, instrument for rage, it's going to guide your body into rage, right? If you use this instrument for gossip and for uh, kind of divisiveness, it will lead your whole body into divisiveness. That's how it works, right? But if you use this instrument for praise, it can lead your whole body into praise. It's the same idea, right? The instrument can be used for righteousness. So I want to spend some time talking about how we can leverage the body as instrument of righteousness. So uh, there's probably many, many ways that you can do this, but I'm going to talk about four here. Okay, so uh, first one I want to talk about is setting. Okay, where you actually put your body, when you put your body, right? So I, I just want to use that example, prayer. We, we were talking about that idea of, um, you know, maybe the setting of your bedroom at night is not the best setting to pray. If you want to pray to God, if that's what your intent is, you can leverage that, right? Where do you pray? Have you ever thought about that? Where you actually pray? Because your body will respond to setting. If you go to, uh, uh, I don't know, like, like you look at a beautiful hill overlooking water, right? And, and the sun is coming up. Don't you think that's going to do certain things to your body and then to your mind and to your emotions? Will that possibly naturally lead you into a place of natural praise? Of course. If you understand that principle, then you'll understand how you can leverage setting. Uh, by the way, just another example. Um, a lot of people, they recommend for productivity. I know a lot of us are stuck at home. But what they say is that uh, it's so hard to work at home because your body is used to doing certain things in certain parts of your house, right? So let's say you're trying to do work where you normally play video games. So you sit down to your computer that you use for video games, and usually you're at work using your work computer, but now you're at your video game computer. Okay, you're like, it's not my video game computer, Pastor Steve, but do you use this computer for video games? Maybe for some of us, we're using it 90% of the time for video games. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that if that's what you're used to doing, guess what? When you sit down to do work, what is your body going to remember? It's going to remember how to play Fortnite, right? It's going to remember Minecraft, and it's going to want to do that. So when you're trying to do work and you're just thinking about Fortnite or or you're finding yourself distractive, no wonder Right, And so what they say sometimes is that you should set apart uh, areas in your house to do certain things. This is also uh, advice that they give for um, insomnia. If you have trouble sleeping, one of the things they say is that make your setting for sleeping the most comfortable setting for sleeping, right? Like make sure all the lights are out, you know, draw the curtains, make it a nice, comfortable space, not too hot, not too cold, and only sleep there. Don't do work there. Don't be on your phone there. Don't play video games there. Don't watch TV there, right? Don't sit there and and wondering about current events there. Go there to sleep. Make that the setting in which you sleep. And if you do that, your body will remember that. When your body goes to, to your dark bedroom, right, your body will be like, oh, I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sleep. 
right? Have you ever noticed that when you're in a certain setting, sometimes it's more conducive to do certain things. When you go to the dining room, it's more conducive to eating. Your body starts getting ready to eat, right? When you go to your office, you start getting ready more for work, right? So they say that even if you don't have a big space, you can just set aside little corners of your apartment. This is the corner that I pray. This is the corner that I I sleep. This is the corner that I do work. This is the corner where I play video games, right? And just make a part of your house the place where you normally do those things, and your body will, in in many ways, do the rest, right? It's 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 a way of leveraging your the the way that our bodies normally work, that we respond to cues in our environment to know what to do. And and if you're leveraging those kinds of things, it'll be so much easier to do it, right? And so another thing too is I know that this isn't easy for everyone, especially you know for those of us uh, you know maybe you're in a smaller space, there's not as many places for privacy, right? But you know, setting is also important in terms of praying, you know, in terms of, um, you know, is your place quiet? Are you alone? Maybe, again, you're like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, I can pray anywhere. Yeah, true, right? You can pray anywhere, but your setting can help you, right? So if you're in a crowded room where other people are doing other things and they're talking and they're playing music, probably not the best setting to pray. Go to a quiet place, Right? Your body responds to certain things. Your ears respond to noise, right? Your eyes respond to distractions. Your mind responds to stimuli. All of these things are a part of your body and the way you are built. Go to a quiet place where you can pray, right? Go outside when no one else is there. Wake up at a time where no one else is there. All of these things, man, so important. Uh, Another thing, too, is uh, posture and body position. Right? So we already talked about laying down when you pray. Bad idea, right? I mean, you, you, you gotta leverage these things, you know? And so your body will respond to its position, right? Have you ever seen someone go into a fight laying down? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen anyone prepare for a fight by laying down? Right? Probably, you know, somebody who's getting ready for, uh, to move, they're, they're doing certain things. What are they doing? They're warming up their body. Right? If I'm getting for a race, I start stretching those parts of the body that I'm going to use. Right? I start kind of mimicking the motion of running. Right? I'm doing these things to prep my body. Right? Do you do that for prayer? Or you just assume that you can slip into prayer, that you can slip into your discipleship, whatever you're doing. If you think that, brothers and sisters, then I think you're falling into the trap of thinking that mind over matter, that that you can will yourself past these things in your body, that the only thing that really matters is what you are believing and what you're doing in here, right? You're not leveraging this instrument. And so... In many ways, brothers and sisters, you're making it too hard on yourselves. I know a lot of people, they're like, um, Pastor Steve, I always fall asleep when I pray. This is the first question. I say, are you lying down when you sleep, when you pray? <laughs> well, when you sleep. I mean, you're sleeping, right? <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're not praying. You're sleeping uh, when you lie down. And so many people, I mean, you won't believe, brothers and sisters, or maybe you will, how many people try to pray when they're laying down. It's just not going to work. That's not what, what, right? Your body is like, okay, sleep time, right? And your body's going to respond to that. You know, so one of the things they say, um, I'm actually going to just go over here and grab this. Um, get a, a chair with the back when you pray. And 
Uh, I don't know if you guys can see this on the video. But put your back straight, right, when you pray. And, and so, uh, brothers and sisters, I know, I know, and you've heard me say this before, but I think it bears repeating for those who haven't heard this or you just need a refresher. Because I talk about this all the time. Most people in LGM pray this way, like this. Now, so, brothers and sisters, this is not a traditional uh, form of prayer, uh, a prayer posture that's in uh, the Bible. Uh, there, were, there were a couple of prayer postures. One was like this. Uh, where, where they would, uh, the Israelites, they would be being erect. Uh, they, their hands would be outstretched. Their palms would be facing the heavens and they would look up. And this is a, f- a common, uh, prayer posture. Being on the knees, of course, this is a very, very humble, a very humbling, uh, place. And, and sometimes you just put your face down. You probably can't see me anymore. Another way is being prostrate. They would actually, um, am I gonna do this? Let's do it. It's just, it's just you and me, guys, right? No big deal. Uh, they would lay prostrate, right? They would kind of lay on the floor. You can't see me anymore, but just believe I'm on the floor, right? Um, and uh, they would put their arms out. You can do it cruciform. You can put your arms out on the floor. These are uh, prayer postures. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray this way, but what I'm trying to point out to you is that the traditional form of prayer that many of us use is not the most common one. And I think part of the reason why is it's actually not a very good position if you want to stay attentive, right? It can be very humble. And for some people, that works for you. I, this is not meant to be legalistic. But the problem is, and uh, I wanted to show you this. Um, <clears throat> so remember, we are embodied souls, okay? Our bodies respond to certain things. And so um, if you are standing upright, okay, so you've got a weight. So this is just a uh, mic stand, by the way. If you hold it straight up like this, much easier. Now, if I tilt it at an angle, it's much harder. I, the longer I do this, the harder it's going to be. I'm just telling you right now, I can already feel the strain. It's a lot harder, Right. So if you are straight up with your head directly over your neck, then all the pressure of your head is being put upon your neck, your spine directly. There's a lot less pressure and it's just a lot easier. Right. If your head is tilted forward like this, your head gets heavy. Right. It's bad for your posture. You will get tired. Right. The blood rushes forward. All of this stuff happens, right? And it will be harder for you to pay attention. Why do I mention all this? Because body, mind, soul, it's all connected. Your mind and your soul, your spirit, is going to follow the lead of your body, of your posture. If you're in a position that starts to make you more tired, guess what? Probably going to fall asleep. Or you'll, you'll get distracted. You'll lose your attention, right? And so um, your posture is important. You know, maybe for some of us, we're like, I don't feel like praying. So this is the thing. You can leverage your position. Or I don't feel like praising God. If you don't feel like praising God, this is a great posture to take. Right? This, for many of us, is a posture of praise. I mean, you, you, you like, maybe you're like, oh, this is just too much. Maybe you can do, like, the hold the baby praise. Right? Like, kind of like, you just, the, the arms are down here. You know? Um, uh, there's lots of funny memes of uh, uh, worship hands. But I, I know that some of us can get caught up when you are in corporate worship, 
right? When you're a corporate worship and you're worried about what other people think. And if you're doing this to impress other people, then of course, right, there's a lesson in there. Don't do it to impress other people. But if you're in your house and you're having a hard time praising God, I want to encourage you. I'm being serious. Who cares? The only person who's seeing you is God. You feel funny? Who cares, right? If this puts you into a position to praise and you feel like you can't praise, leverage your body and the position that you put your body in to put yourself in the posture of praise. And who knows? If you just start doing this, right, that your standing's up straight, your arms are outstretched, and, and you're looking to the heavens and you're like, God, I am here to praise you. And guess what? Maybe your mind will believe it. Maybe your mind will start believing. Huh, I am here to praise God. This is what I'm here to do, right? Um, so we talked about this a little bit, the idea of embodying your discipleship. What you actually do is very important, right? So things like fasting things that we have lost, things that you actually do with your body um, can be very important in empowering your discipleship. So, you know, one of the things that um, uh, this this uh, will overlap a little bit with setting and posture and all these things, but one of the things I tell people is if you have a hard time, uh, uh, you know, praying uh, or spending time with God, go for a walk embody your discipleship. And part of the reason why going for a walk is good is because a lot of us, we have a really hard time sitting still. Just sitting still and praying, like like your mind is just, right, and your body's not used to it, and, and before you know it, you're just squirming or you fall asleep or, you, you, right, like you just kind of give up because it's kind of hard. But we all know how to walk. <laughs> it's kind of nice, right? And this is the thing. When you're walking, don't be on your phone. Right? Do nothing but just walk and be with God. Why is this embodying your discipleship? Because your body is here and it's doing this and it's doing this for God. What most of us do, I think, is we give God our in-between spaces or we give God our scraps, our leftovers. What do I mean by this? If I have the time, then I'm going to pray. This is why we pray while we're drifting off to sleep. Like, oh, I didn't pray all day long. We don't get out of bed, or at least I didn't. So I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, and you actually get your butt out of bed, and you kneel down, or you take a prayer posture, and you pray. That's great. But I think for a a lot of us who are like, God knows my heart, right? God knows my heart. I don't need to put my body in a position to pray, but I'm just going to put my mind in prayer. And you start praying, and you drift off to sleep in prayer. That's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you not to give God your leftovers, but I'm saying don't only give God your leftovers. You know what I mean? If you want to actually embody your discipleship, if this is supposed to be the most important thing that that you do, then you got to set aside time for your body to actually be there. Put yourself in that position. So if you're walking and you're walking with God, you're walking with God. You're not doing anything else. Of course you can pray while you're doing the dishes. Of course you can pray while you're driving. Right? Of course, you can pray while you're, you know, on the toilet. <laughs> you know, you can do all those things. But these are in between times. These are leftover times. If we want to give God our best, you at least got to show up. Have you ever spent time with someone and your body's not fully there? 
right? Like, like, like your loved one, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your whatever, you know, your brother, your sister, they're trying to talk to you and they're trying to have a meaningful conversation with you, but your body is not entirely there. You're like, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. And you're typing away or you're playing on your phone or you're watching TV and they're like, dude, stop. Don't you care? Right? Like, can you just be with me in this moment? Right? You have to embody your friendships. You have to embody your relationships. In the same way, you got to embody your discipleship. You actually got to be there. All of it. Present your body. Offer your body. Not just your mind. Not just your soul. Not just, you know, a part of you, but your whole self. What would it mean if you stopped doing whatever it was you were doing? And you're like, God, this time is yours. I'm just going to be with you. I'm just not going to move. I'm just going to be with you. Or I'm going to walk. But the only reason why I'm walking, right? I'm not trying to get an exercise too. Don't do cardio prayer walks, okay? (laughs) You know, you can do the cardio afterwards. Take a nice leisurely walk just simply for the purpose of just walking with Jesus. See what happens. See what happens to your spiritual life. If you embody your discipleship before you know it, I think your spirit will start to follow a lot of people, we, we don't understand this. And so we think you have to do mind over matter. We think we need to motivate ourselves first. I don't feel like praying. And until I feel like praying, then I'm not going to pray. Until I feel like spending time with God, then I'm not going to spend time with God. Until I feel like serving, I'm not going to serve. And we're getting it mixed up. I mean, there. Are, again, it can work from both ends. You can decide to do something for God and then do it. Of course you can. You can get inspired by a sermon or inspired by a scripture passage you read or whatever and then do it. Of course you can do that, but it doesn't always work that way, right? Sometimes we're in a place where our spirits are really down and defeated and, and feel weakened. And sometimes what you got to do is you go serve God even if you don't feel like it. You pray even if you don't feel like it. You praise even if you don't feel like it. You walk even if you don't feel like it. And what happens oftentimes is you start feeling better because your spirit started following your body, not the other way around, right? So embody your discipleship. Leverage your body to be the power pack that leads your spirit in the right direction. And lastly, pray for and dedicate your body and its parts to God. So, brothers and sisters, this idea of offering your body as a living sacrifice means that it doesn't belong to you anymore. So, this last step is in some ways the most important one, but it's also the least practical. The other ones are super practical, right? To like put yourself in the right setting, you know, practice good posture or the proper posture to pray and do these things, right? Like super practical. But this last one, I have to admit, um, you know, may sound a little more like esoteric in a way. The idea that your body is not your own. It belongs to God. This is really hard for us. And this is not what we believe normally as, you know, Western people. What we think is, my body's mine, right? How many times do you hear people say, you can't tell me to do uh, what to do with my body. It's mine. It belongs to me, right? So I can do whatever the heck I want with it. You can't tell me. You can't legislate that, right? Politically, I mean, 
I kind of agree with that. But at the same time, when it comes to your discipleship, what we are saying is, God, even if I had rights to this body, it's debatable, but even if I had all the rights to it, I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering the rights to my body and what to do with it from moment to moment, and I'm giving it to you. And so this last step is about praying for your body, dedicating your body and its parts to God. You know, there are times where we sin against God in our body. So, of course, you repent for that. But have you actually prayed over your body? I know this sounds kind of weird. I read this in a book called uh, Reformation of the Heart by uh, Dallas Willard. And he talked about this idea of, uh, remember I told you about that prostate prayer? Um, He recommends doing this. And it's kind of weird, I have to admit. And I have to admit, I haven't done this entirely in this form. So just take this with a grain of salt. I always try to share things that I haven't actually done with you because it's kind of weird. But this is what he says is, uh, you know, practice this. Practice it daily or, or do it, you know, somewhat regularly. Lay down on the ground, right? The prostate prayer. Lay down on the ground and don't move, okay? I'm going to disappear for a second, but I, I just want you to know. <laughs> I'm still here, right? Can you guys still hear me? Yeah? Okay, so lay down on the ground, prostrate, and you're spread out, right? I'm spread out right now, and don't move. And every part of your body, you pray over that, and you dedicate that to God, right? God, this hand is your hand. God, this head is your head. This arm is your arm. I know it sounds silly, right? It seems kind of strange, maybe, for some of us. But have you ever, 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 ever dedicated your actual body to God and told God, God, this is yours. I give it to you. Or for most of us, I want to do with this whatever I want to do with this, right? You can't tell me. Maybe other people can. But what about when it comes to God? Are you willing to give up control over all of this to God? I want to go uh, one last time to uh, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, sorry, which is your spiritual worship. That's what reasonable service should connect to. Um, that's what we are trying to do. This idea that your body is not yours, but it belongs to God. I uh, just want to ask the praise team to come up here. And uh, you all don't have to lay down on, your ground, on the ground in, in your house. <laughs> um, but I, I want to ask us to do this for a moment. Because maybe you've never prayed this way before. I know it's something that I wasn't used to doing. But can we just take a moment and take whatever posture you think is conducive to prayer um, you know, it can be subtle. Maybe you're in a room with some of your family members and just everyone going like this feels a little weird to you. That's okay. You can do this in the privacy of your own room in your own time. Uh, but maybe you just want to do something subtle, like uh, put your hands out. Maybe that's what you feel like you can do. Again, this is not meant to be legalistic. This is a meant, meant to bring your, your, your body, your mind, your, 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 your spirit, your emotions into alignment 
Right? If we say, I'm offering myself to you, God, I think putting your body in a position that feels like you're offering yourself to God will help you do that. Right? So that's what this is about. So if we can take an, an embodied prayer posture right now, you can close your eyes if you want, if that's helpful. You can look out into the beautiful creation if you're by a window and you can look at some birds or some trees. Feel free to do that. Whatever, whatever helps you to get into that place where you can offer yourself before God. And let's take a moment to offer your body to God. It's somewhat symbolic, but I think also we mean it literally. God, this body is yours. I don't get to do with it whatever I want, whatever I want. I want it to be yours, to be an instrument of righteousness. I want it to be able to lead me into Christ-likeness, not to just lead me into whatever pleasure that I may want at the moment, but I want it to lead me into goodness, into mercy all the days of my life. God, it is yours. Holy Spirit, lead it. I surrender my rights to do with this body what I would want to do, when I would want to do it. God, I give it to you. So could you just take a moment and just use your own words as we do that? And uh, yeah, Simon, if you want to just play some, uh, get that nice guitar instrumental. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I I know there are many times where I think that my thoughts and belief are perhaps the only thing that matters, what's kind of hidden within my heart. Those things are important. But in many ways, the body don't lie. God, may we give our bodies, offer them to you as a living sacrifice. Use them, God, for your glory, for building your kingdom, to lead our spirit into righteousness and Christ-likeness, where we can be the salt and light of the world, actually the salt and light of the world, not just with our intentions, but what we actually do with our bodies. May we learn how to praise you. May we learn how to commune with you. May we learn how to give more and more of ourselves to you. And God, in many ways, Lord, in whatever ways, that we need to learn again of how good it is to be your servants, your children, to be under your care, under your control, how good your will is. By surrendering, we're not truly losing. But God, we are gaining the glory of Christ. We're gaining life in the kingdom of God. That is our desire and our hope. We are not doing it with heavy or leaden hearts. We're not doing it kicking and screaming. But we want to offer all that we are to you willingly. Take it and use it, God, for your glory. Now and always, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.